You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Have you thought about giving me a review on Apple Podcasts or Amazon? Well, if you do, you'll get a chance to maybe be featured on the podcast. So this week, my review is from Cynthia, and she has a blog called A Faithful Step, and she left a review on the podcast, and this is what she said. I can't believe that it's 2019, and it's still a shock that women serve in the military. They deploy, and they serve in combat. I love the idea behind this podcast and think it's the perfect resource for anyone who is considering serving. Tracy joined the United States Air Force in 1994. She was part of the nurse corps as a clinical nurse and she spent four years on active duty and three years in the reserve. She is currently a registered nurse, a public speaker, and is married to a service member who is currently serving in the Air National Guard. Thank you for being here today, Tracy. I'm excited to learn more about your military experience. My pleasure. I'm excited as well. My first question is going to be, why did you decide to join the military? It's kind of a different story. I am a military brat. My mother, father, brother, and sister were both in the service, and many uncles and my grandparents were both in the service. And I always thought growing up that those who go in the service are people who can't find a job. You, know, you um, enlist in the service because the factories aren't hiring or something like that. So for me, I initially thought I would never go in the service. I was like, well, I want to be a nurse and I'm going to have a profession and I will maybe think about that down the line, but nursing is what I wanted to do. So I went headlong into college and went into um, studying and learning about my my profession. And, and I think you and I talked about this once before I went uh, to a college that had an ROTC program. And I thought, wait a second. I never knew there was such a thing as officership. I never knew there was such a thing as educated and service. And I'm a little embarrassed to admit that, but that's absolutely the truth. I had no idea there was such a thing. And when I saw the officers walking around campus, I said to myself, oh no, this is something I could, I could jump in on and uh, chatted up with some of the, the cadre at our school, and I became um, a military science minor immediately. Decided to stay, that was Army, on our, our college, and then decided to move into the Air Force after I finished. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how even when you're connected to the military, you don't always know, like, the ins and outs of what's going on or like the different programs or all the different stuff going on. Exactly. I was actually stunned. I had no idea there was such a thing. I mean, I knew there were officers and enlisted people, but I just never connected that to myself as someone who could possibly do both. I was so focused on my nursing career and making sure that I had a degree because I was going to be different. I was the first in my family to go to college. And that was a big accomplishment. And to me, 
it was even more special because I was able to go to college and also be an officer. Yeah, that's a really cool story. And it's, I lost my question, dig it. <laughs> I was listening to you. Um, but it's just really cool that you were able to do that. And like, oh, I remember my question. Did you feel like a sense of like being a military brat that you like were supposed to join the military? And that's kind of like why you didn't want to because you felt that like legacy was pushed on you and then you wanted to be a nurse? I did a little bit. I think that was just part of our family. Like I said, uh, four of my uncles, my grandparents both met in World War II, my mother and my father. And I did just feel like that was our our lot in life, what we were going to join. And I didn't feel pressure per se, but it was certainly understood that that's what we were. We were a military family. And it was always positive. It was never negative for me. But I did very clearly know that I wanted to be a professional. I wanted to be someone who did something more. And it just never dawned on me to join the service until I found out there was such a thing as ROTC. And do you think your parents didn't really realize, like, what officers or just never thought that was a good fit for you? Or because, I mean, some some people just don't know, like, how officers become officers and don't really think about it. Right. No, I, I, I'll be honest. Uh, my father has passed away, but my mother, even when she was enlisted, it was kind of understood in our family. There was no officers in our family at all. Everyone was enlisted. And it was kind of an understanding that you either, after high school graduation, got a job at a factory or something, um, were enlisted into the service or got married. And since I wasn't really any of those, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think anyone thought beyond that, to be honest, everyone had been enlisted and it wasn't even something that I think we'd ever ask questions about. That's really interesting. So it was a huge paradigm shift. Totally. I was, I was like, what are those guys doing over there? Look, I could do that. And I kind of like that. And I did. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. That's really cool. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about how you did this? So you did ROTC with the army and then you switched to air force. Can you talk a little bit about how that all worked? Sure. I had already transferred into a program. I started off as a pre-med major and was transferring into a nursing program. And because I had so many credits, I had matriculated into my junior year. So at that time, when I spoke to the ROTC cadre at our school, they gave me the option to either pick up a scholarship or to just take the minor military science and enlist or officer um, program on my own. So because I had just gotten into this new school, I decided at that point just to go ahead and take the minor and did the extra credits. I was never under contract with the ROTC, although I absolutely loved it and I should have been. I just was a little bit nervous about doing that with only two years left. So when I finished the two years of my last few years of nursing school, after working a little bit with the Army, no offense to any Army uh, people out there, but I am not an Army girl. <laughs> I was the girl they called Private Benjamin. <laughs> You've ever seen that movie? You'll go, yep, that's her. They put us on a land navigation course. And of course, I'm from Buffalo, New York, and it's cold most of the semester. So we're in the woods chasing a, a, a coffee can is what they used to put on a stick for us to find in our land navigation courses. And they always were looking for me. I could never find the coffee can. 
<laughs> so I kind of knew right there that I should probably look at something else. <laughs> and um, I had a good friend in high school that joined the Air Force and was really impressed. Truthfully, nursing was nursing. I, I knew I was going to be a nurse in any branch. And I really wanted to do something a little bit more, oh, actually, maybe less military, if that makes any sense. So I landed in the Air Force. I called a recruiter and commissioned in right after I graduated. That's really cool. <laughs> I did uh, like an Army like team up thing because we had Air Force and Army ROTC. And I was like, yeah, that is not for me. And then I deployed with the Army and I was like, this wasn't what I wanted to do. No. What's happening? Prayed <laughs> one time and I believe in a, in a light um a night patrol. <laughs> My hair was stuck in a tree. It was just not work for me. I and if and if any of my friends hear this, they're gonna be, yep, that's her. Yeah. <laughs> so you commissioned and then what happened? I commissioned and took my boards and went straight to Andrews Air Force Base into a program that they had for new nurses at the time called the Nurse Transition Program. And being naive, I was pretty ready. I was ready to go and jump right into nursing. And they did take us from school straight through a six to eight week, depending on how you progressed, additional training. And I initially was kind of frustrated with that because it felt like we were right back in school again. And I just finished that. But after a while, I was very grateful for that because it did help us. The, the title's perfect. It transitioned us from the civilian world to the... Um, military hospital world and and gave us a little bit of an edge so that when you started on the floors when you actually were let loose and took care of patients you had a good grasp of your military bearing your military expectations and also some of the clinical stuff that you need to transition from school to um, full-time work so i did that for about six to eight weeks oh i'm sorry i skipped um i went to two weeks training <laughs> two weeks training in uh Mississippi, which they at the time had just switched it from San Antonio. So I was one of the first classes to go to this new base to do this leadership training. I loved it. I loved the two weeks. And then, like I said, I moved into um, the transition program through Andrews Air Force Base. And then you started your job as a nurse at Andrews or did you move somewhere else? Nope. I stayed at Andrews. That uh, was our my duty assignment from they 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 made nurses limit their assignment choices to about seven, it might be less now, but seven hospitals that they wanted you to be at a large medical center so they can get experience and then you could deploy if you wanted to or then you can go to a small overseas assignment. So uh, I, we had a choice. I don't know that I actually got because I did not put DC <laughs> um, our choice, but um, I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. To me, there was... I cried at first. I did cry the first time I heard I was going to D.C. because all I knew was the hood. That's all I knew. And I'm from New York. I wanted to go away. I didn't want to go straight to, you know, four hours from my house. Right. <laughs> um, but I'm so grateful I did go to D.C. It was very awesome to be an officer and to be in the environment that we were in with having so much political stuff around you. It was great to be in that city. Loved it. That's good. While you were on active duty, is that when you deployed or was that when you were in the reserves? In uh, in the reserves. Go I ahead. stayed years, two and a half years at um, Andrews Air Force Base. And th then I transferred to Bitburg Air Base, Germany, which I think is now closed. 
so I, I rounded out my active duty time at Bitburg in an overseas assignment, went into the reserves, and then deployed. So let's talk a little bit about what your deployment was and what you were doing. Okay. I was deployed my, at that time, I had separated from the military and joined the reserves through Travis Air Force Base in California. I was living there. And our reserve component at Travis was looking for volunteers to go overseas for a deployment. We didn't get to know what that was. I was in the middle of working on a civilian contract to be put overseas as a nurse contractor. And right as I got the contract to work in Misawa Airport Air Base, Japan, I also got the call that I might be deployed. So I was there for about six months before my actual deployment happened. So I just transitioned from my reserve unit was still geographically located in California, but I physically moved to Misawa. And I did get deployed from California, so I had to come back before I deployed. My deployment was to Ramstein Air Base, and I managed the CASIV there, which is the Contingency Air Staging Facility. And what does that mean for people who don't know nursing stuff? <laughs> what that means is you're, as an officer, you're in charge of flights going in and out of the, the first echelon. So our flights came in every day from Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan and Baghdad in Iraq. So it was in support of Operation Enduring and Iraqi Freedom. We, in the Air Force, did not have a military hospital. We, we were co-located or close to launch to a hospital. So airfield was managed by the Air Force, but the hospital was managed by the Army. So we worked very closely in the air vac system to bring in soldiers, casualties, anyone that was uh, injured through that first flight, they would stage, meaning as a nurse, I would run uh, to the flight line. We would bring ambulances or depending on the level of injury that we had on our flight, we would coordinate all the transportation, ambulances, staffing to the flight line, meet that plane. We would go on and, you know, check everyone in and move them through the air vac system. Some were routed to an ambulance immediately if they were critical and they had a, what we call a CCAT team, which is a critical care team, take them specifically with a nurse and sometimes even a provider straight to launch tool and a critical ambulance. Some would move through on a different mode of transport if they were, we call them walkie talkies. <laughs> if we had walkie talkies, we'd take them. We had litters, um, all different levels of injury we coordinated from that spot right on the middle of the flight line, and then we were responsible as the officer to divvy them up where they should be in the air vac system. On top of the flights then, in the CASIV, we were also required as nursing staff to run the actual bay. If we had, for example, uh, patients who were doing well but needed to go back to the States out of deployment, for surgery or had a condition that was pretty stable but needed to go back home through the air vac system. We would manage them within the hospital if they had medications. Obviously, we had 20 beds on either side and they stayed within the CASIV until they got either on the next flight or back through that system to wherever they were headed. That sounds really interesting and like a very important part of the military's like mission because you have to have people back doing all the different things that you mentioned to take care of yeah. them and get them back home or get them to surgery or whatever they needed. So that sounds really interesting. 
it was fascinating. I have to say, if, of all the time I spent in the service, that was my absolute personal favorite for five months. I think I was almost there five months. For me, having been in the Army and then moved into the Air Force, I really liked that Army nurse mentality. I just didn't like the Army. <laughs> but I wanted to take care of soldiers. That's what I felt called to do. And as much as I enjoyed my Air Force time, um, my specialty is an OB based on what was a need at the time. I didn't even choose that initially. I just kind of slid into that. So I got away a little bit from, I, I love women's health, don't get me wrong, but I did get away from my strong belief in taking care of soldiers. So it was brought back to me when I went to that deployment, how much that was important to me to be part of, you know, caring for the people who are fighting for our freedom. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Loved that sounds really interesting. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting um, that you were an OB and then you got sent to do something that was kind <laughs> of really different. And, but the, that's kind of, I think what the military is like, but you're a nurse, so do this. <laughs> Absolutely. And to be honest, in the Air Force, the way that it worked, I don't know how it works in the Army. I, I didn't get that far into the service of the Army, but in the Air Force, as an OB nurse, once you choose that specialty, it is a number two specialty. You don't have, you don't get to have it as your primary specialty. So all the time that I was active duty, I also, I had to specialize and train for everything pertinent to OB, but I always had to have a primary, we called it an AFSC, which is our duty um, title. Our Air Force Service Code always had to be a primary nurse first. So I did have, by choosing OB eventually, I did have double duty because I had to keep two levels of nursing expertise to, to be able to deploy if I had to, because obviously your number one mission is always readiness. So I had that um, primary specialty and OB was my secondary specialty. It wasn't easy. <laughs> that, that kind of explains more why there's like, because I know the base hospital um, was like always closed at Thursday at noon. And I was like, why do they have so much training? But that like kind of clears it up, especially like if you're a, yep. and, like a pediatrician and then you also have to be ready so that's really kind of a it makes a lot more sense now because I was like yeah. what are they training for all the time yeah there's almost always a deployment responsibility and if you do choose to have something outside of a deployment or readiness um, specialty then that's a, that's extra so obviously as much as it's important for you as a military spouse for example to have all your prenatal care th that nurse may be you know, training to go on the flight line. Did you face any struggles while serving in the military, either deployed or at home station? I will say I was one of the lucky ones. I was very positive going in. I was very excited going in. And I think that helped me always just kind of look on the bright side. Some of the work was hard, um, but I had been a full-time student at that time and had been working and I think I was already prepped a little bit for some of those hardships and I can't say other than a few instances of some pretty disgusting sexual um, conversations or uh, prejudices I really had no struggles at all I was always excited about everything that was given to me that's really good to hear I feel like I got really lucky 
a, a lot of times so I'm like I don't I I had an overall good experience and not really anything compared to some of the stories that I've heard when I started doing the podcast and oh I bet I bet no I I was very lucky and again I took it I I, I think when you you go in so ready and so happy about it and excited about it because now you get to do two things you love. I always looked for the silver lining on everything. Now I'm not going to tell you that there weren't days when we had a mobility training and I was dragging a bag for six hours and laying on the floor and then having to work night shift that I was happy <laughs> because that was, that was a little bit of a challenge because there was this understanding that as nurses or medical officers you weren't real officers we did hear that quite a bit and I always would just slap right back with oh yeah because I can I can read your EKG ships too so don't don't give me your hard time but there is that if you're not really a flight in an actual flight support like that first level of slight flight support there was just kind of like oh you're a nurse and you're not even a real nurse you're an OB nurse <laughs> This doesn't even count, but I just shrugged it right off, and I was like, well, the heck, I knew I'm having a blast, so I don't care. Yeah, sometimes people say stuff, and you're like, um, okay. So why did you decide to leave the military behind? You could either, you can talk about why you switched from active duty to reserves, and you can talk about why you left altogether. Okay. My first move was from active duty to reserves, and I felt after four years, having been stateside and overseas, I was really eager. And I, you know, looking back now, this is 20 years ago, looking back now, I, I think a little immature um, as a new officer and as a nurse, I was so eager to see what civilian nursing was like. I never saw it. And I guess I had a sense of, I don't need the service as much as I like the service. So when I initially left, I was asked to put on rank, and then also stay for an additional two years. And I just didn't know if I wanted to do two more years active duty and have to move again without seeing and, and checking out the civilian side of nursing. So I think my desire to just kind of see what the world is like of nursing had me leave the active duty section. And within a, within a year, I was back in the reserves. That was after 9-11. And when when that happened, I just, first of all, I missed it horribly. I missed the camaraderie. I missed the professionalism. I have to say my first assignment as a civilian nurse, I could not believe how unprofessional other nurses were, um, civilian nurses were. I could not get used to the idea that they weren't overtly willing to jump up and help. To me, they felt, it, it, not everyone, of course, this is a generalization, but they were there was just so little concern about team. There was so little concern about personal growth and development. I was shocked and I thought, oh my God, I'm really overqualified for <laughs> these staff jobs. So I missed some of those things. I missed having a common understanding. Um, most people are in the service have a general understanding of, of relationships. You know, people come from two different places of the world and you just get along. You don't, you don't fight your differences. You, you learn to get along because you have a job to do. And that sense of teamwork was really ingrained in me. And I was very unimpressed with that part of civilian nursing. So when 9-11 happened, I felt overwhelmingly patriotic and said, I don't know if I can do active duty again. I have a nice job. I like where I was living in California at the time. 
And I said, let's do this and found it to be the perfect mix, the perfect mix between a little bit of the civilian sector and a little bit of the reserve um, component. Then when I moved overseas, I met my husband. <laughs> and as a young woman, I never in a million years thought that I would stay in and have a dual military relationship. I just knew from having friends and family that had done this, that there's just seemed to be something that would never work for myself and my kids. I really believed full heartedly that I wanted to be a hundred percent available to my kids. So I left the service after we got married, the reserves, I finished my third year and um, left. But at that time I was married to a military man. So we still lived on the base. We stayed at Misawa for another three years. And um, I didn't really feel like I left at all. I was allowed to have my own mail. Because you were a dependent? Right. I was just a dependent. And I, I used the word just specifically. I was just a dependent at that point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's an interesting topic to talk about because it's a big switch to go from being in the service to being a military spouse. And a lot of military spouses like get treated that way and they don't understand like how wrong it is because yeah. they've always been treated that way. And so some of my first experiences being, like you said, just a spouse, right. is they were, I would leave in tears and I was like, this is like, and I'm leaving in tears and I know like some of the system. So I just felt really bad right. for military spouses and all the things that they've had to go through. I, I had to turn over my mailbox. Of course, this was an overseas base. So you had your PO box. I had to turn over my actual physical little box and turn over all my identity. And I remember one time, oh, probably about six months after I had become a military spouse, a package came. I don't get them often. The mail, my husband gave me the combo to so I can get the mail, but a package has to be picked up. And it was addressed to me. Uh, I went and brought my slip to them and said, okay, I've got this package. And I, I was shocked to hear that I was not allowed to pick up my own stinking mail. He said, no, man, you cannot have it. And I'm like, okay, I'm here. I have to go get my husband. Are you kidding me? He's like, nope. That was a little disheartening. Um, I learned to deal with that too. I, again, was happy to be on the base without some of the negative bag drags and responsibility that I had being active duty or reserved. So I just kind of took it in stride, but it, it, it definitely was. Um, a different world for sure. Yeah, it's it's a hard transition. And I feel like I kind of had a little bit of like resentment for being like, you're just a spouse. And so it was really hard for me to even like embrace the military spouses around me. And it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't energy directed at them, but I was feeling that way that, sure. and they were military spouses. So it kind of, so it took me a while to realize like, to like have empathy and to like try and make changes and be a voice for them instead of I feel like that's where some of the like frustration comes between service members and spouses. Oh I would agree and I hadn't quite thought about it until you just brought that up but it's absolutely true. It's almost like now I would say that for me having transitioned while overseas there's definitely a difference overseas because you have such strong spouse groups and you're friends, your squadron, your teams are so close in general that it may be a little bit lightened, but I did, even in those spouse groups that I tried to kind of mill about in, there was definitely clicks. The people that were 
never active duty and the ones that were. There was sometimes um, a very different sense of our understanding of how this program were to work. And it, it was clicky, I, I have to admit. And I, I, you know, I had to check myself a couple times because I felt a little bit like, how could you be worried about that? If this is something that's a big deal to you, it's really not that big of a deal in the bigger picture, but that comes from having had an active duty sign. It did take some transition for sure. Yes, it does. And I'm so thankful for the relationships that I have with military spouses because they're they're rock stars and like Absolutely. yeah i just Absolutely. i'm blown away by like all the things that they do and so. well it's funny now having had the opportunity to be active duty reservist and now a just straight military spouse if you ask me straight up which is the most challenging definitely military spouse and i was so positive that my time as a person was harder this is definitely the hardest absolutely the hardest most rewarding, but the hardest for sure. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> See, <laughs> I told someone that like being deployed, I was like, yeah, that was hard, but being a military spouse is harder. And they're like, are you sure? And I was like, oh, yeah. 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 I'm <laughs> sure. It's really yeah. hard. So I love talking about stuff that it's kind of like stuff that people don't really talk about. And yeah, it's just interesting to hear, especially that you were like, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> It. And I don't know if you'll you'll respect this as much as I do or not, but up until you had a conversation with a good friend of mine, I literally believed because I went straight into motherhood. I literally believed that my I didn't have a story at all. And a, a friend of mine said, "Are you crazy?" And I went, "Well, maybe I am. Maybe I am crazy. I don't think I have a story. There's nothing exciting about my military time at all. It was fun. It was fabulous." I had great training, I had perfect opportunities, and what wasn't perfect I made worked for me. And I kept saying, there's nothing to tell. And she's like, you need to just tell your story. And I'm so glad she told me to say that because I see now that I do have a story and I can't believe I didn't think I did. So yeah. I kudos to you guys for bringing these out because I literally fought tooth and nail. There's nothing to tell, I said to myself a hundred times. You just gave me chills. Yeah, that's what <laughs> that's what it's all about because yeah. I truly believe like everyone has a story and everyone has a part to tell of our military history, especially as being women of the military and just everything that we've done to shape where the military is today. And so I'm really appreciative of you taking your time to share. Not at all. I'm so glad that I had this opportunity because again, I would have never even thought of it. And if I, you have to know my friend, because she just looked at me and said, are you out of your mind? Maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and she just said I had no option. So here I am. Thank you, Elise. <laughs> so her. I loved her. Yeah, she was a great yeah. guest. You have to go back and listen to her story if you haven't heard it yet. So my last question for you is what would you tell girls who are considering joining the military? Well, I would say for me personally, um, I think far too few women, when they join, really suck all that they can out of their service. Um, I caught myself initially feeling a little bit negative at times, being stationed in DC. And I, I remember a shift early on where I said, this is an opportunity that I will never have again. I can always go back to my hometown and be a nurse and maybe go someplace else. 
um, do whatever I wanted to do. But this is an opportunity for right now to do something that nobody else is going to know that I, you know, or, or, or not know that nobody else is going to expect me to do maybe. And this is my time. Uh, I think as women, I'm so great, very grateful that I didn't get married first and had children first, although that's a, a admirable place for a woman. I'm so glad that my military service came first because I drew so much from my time in the military as a mom. And I think it framed me in how I raise my kids. Now, my children will tell you that I should have been a drill instructor, which I could have done. <laughs> That's not even funny. <laughs> but the, the fact that I was able to, and I appreciate so much that I was have, I had mentors and sponsors who told me these things, take everything you can, look for opportunity. When I showed up in Germany, um, the lady who picked me up at the airport was a nurse on our unit. And she says, I'm going to tell you two things about being overseas. Because all I wanted to do is travel. She said, there's two things. Don't save a dollar and travel everywhere. And I thought, oh, that's not what I expected to hear. But that touched me because I grabbed those experiences and took them. And when the deployment opportunity happened, I grabbed that experience. And it turned out, without even knowing it, turned out to be my most important experience to date. Other than having children, the most important thing I've done in my life. And I might have missed those if I fell into the trap of some of the sexist stuff that was kind of floated around. And I'm glad I did not. So I would tell someone to make sure that they very much look for opportunities and take what they need, what they can, and really take advantage of everything that's given to you as a, as a military member. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and doing this interview. And I've just, I've really appreciated learning your story and hearing more about your experience. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmantomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.